Welcome to a new episode of the Creative Industry Insight Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby. For our second episode covering Killers of the Flower Moon, we have ILM Visual Effects Supervisor Pablo Hellman, who joins us to talk about their work on the film. Please be warned that are heavy spoilers in this episode. Without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Pablo. Hi, Pablo. Thank you for joining me today. No problem. Thank you. I'm glad we can sit down and talk about Killers of a Flower Moon. That's come out recently in cinema and then which will probably be on Apple it's, it's Apple TV probably before Christmas, maybe December time. Yeah, I'm excited to sort of dive in and talk about the film. Um, I guess we can always start from the beginning. How did the project come about? Was it a case of Mr. Scorsese giving you a call, being like, I'm bringing the band back together. Do you want to come join us? Or is he saying, look, um, this is like, you've got no choice. You better come back for me. <laughs> it's a combination of those, which are, which are both of them are great. I mean, I love working with Marty. I mean, I've been working with him for the last six years or something like that. It's a, it's a great, it's a very creative process, very collaborative. Um, he's very also funny, and, uh, very human. And uh, he has an incredible sense of framing and uh, storytelling and characters and uh, and and uh, very surprisingly visual and very instinctive. So uh, it was great to get that call and uh, and join him uh, in a scout in Tulsa and, and Oklahoma and Pahaska and uh, and Fairfax. And we also visited the. Uh, the cemetery where uh, the 29 bodies are buried. And uh, it was a very um, spiritual, actually, um, and, and in a way, very painful trip because it was inside the Osage nation. And we, even for the for the whole movie, we stayed with, with the nation and we, we were part of their life uh, for for a little bit. I mean, like eight months we shot because the movie was really long. And it was, I think I remember the script was like about 156 pages or something like that. So it was, it was really great to listen to, to Marty when, when he does um, a movie, he very much gets into the research of, you know, the story and, and, and tries to find the truth, you know, and that, that you, you can see, I know that a lot of people have heard, you know, actors talk about, you know, what is the truth? You know, we're always looking for the truth. Uh, but there is something about that. There is something that uh, if, you, if you are looking for something that is truthful, that is meaning, that, that has meaning and, and is, is, is related to the context of history, then that's going to come through and the audience is going to feel that. And so really great working with Marty. Um, always an insightful uh, you know, story that he's trying to tell. I can imagine when you go to a place where atrocities have happened, it's always a very somber feeling. And especially if you're telling a story about these people and you're standing at their grave or where they might have lived or areas that they might have visited, it's always kind of like a, must be a very sort of like weird feeling as well, because you have that sort of like, this is where they probably would have had a, you know, gone to collect moonshine, for example, or this is where they probably would have gone to church, or this is an area that they probably might have gone shopping and then, to be there as well, it's kind of a feeling that's slightly different. It's like um, not different, but it's a, as you say, the very spiritual feeling. Plus, it's about a hundred years ago, so it must feel really weird being steeped in that history at the same time. Yes, and and also because from a visual effects point of view, Marty tries to capture as much as possible in camera. So you know, when you're in wardrobe and you're you know, on a set. Uh, you know, in the middle of a town that looks like 1920, uh, and you're dealing with such solemn, you know, material. Also, Marty's set is a different set than any other set that I've been in, in the sense that it's very quiet. And he loves to be quiet because he needs to think about stuff. And so we kind of whispered to each other. And also, this was the beginning of the pandemic. 
So we were all masked and uh, we were all, you know, color coded to be where we needed to be. And uh, there was also, uh, there was no vaccine at the time. So it was a very oddly, you know, managed set. But, but I have to say, you know, the vaccines came up, you know, came out about two or three weeks into the shooting and the Osage shared the vaccines with us, you know, as we were all living, you know, in the reservation. But in terms of the visual effects work, I mean, uh, there was you no know, uh, all the oils, you know, rigs that had, had to be put in, and and in the in the vein of uh, having to shoot as much as possible, special effects and production design built one rig, nineteen twenty one rig that wasn't drilling, but it was doing the right things um, mechanically. So we we did a lot of photogrammetry on it. We we flew a helicopter on it. We took a lot of um, you know textures and and uh, measurements and all this, and then we built hundreds of them. And that was you know part of the the work that we did. And then you know we went into other things like for instance extending the town. You know the production design did a great work putting that that the city of town of Pohaska looking like Fairfax, which was about 20 miles some other some other way, but it didn't look right. So but we extended, you know, uh, you know, beyond those two blocks, you know, with all the cars and all the all the the people and and um, a journey through the town. See so there were CG cars and CG people there. But that's the thing about this this project, yeah, because the first thing that, uh, you know, that scout that Marty said to me is, I need you to make your work completely invisible. So when I say, you know, we did the oils, we did the extension of the uh, town, we did cows, we did horses, riders, we did explosions, we did, uh, you know, uh, things that, have, that you probably don't know, for instance, um, there's there's a scene where Ernest is reading a book on the Osage history. Well, that book was correct in terms of the physicality of the book, but it didn't have the right pictures. So we had to put in the right pictures. So Ernest is we shot the scene where Ernest is going there, but we we put all the pictures where all you know uh, visual effects. Or for instance, the, uh, there's one of the uh, one of the characters that is played by Sturgill Simpson. is one of the country singers. He, I think, it's a scene where he gets killed uh, in a crash against his car goes uh, crashes into a tree, and he's coming. They they kill him before. Basically, he's 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 dying in the car, but the audience didn't realize that who the character was because in the two or three scenes before he was always wearing a hat but when we shot it because he was inside the car he didn't have a hat so we had to put a cg hat on him and blood uh because we we shot it without it so there's all these things that are completely invisible uh that we had to do that had to do with the premise at the beginning of the movie i really don't want to see the work that we do in visual effects however Besides all that, there, there were other things like, for instance, that we had the crowds and the and the radio show at the end. Also, the the last shot of the movie where the camera, you know, goes up two hundred feet and we see all the Osage dancing. Um, we didn't have enough people, and and so we had to replicate and 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 duplicate and and CG some people dancing and create that shot. Now, you know, again, all that stuff. It's invisible. It's the kind of stuff that I love doing that ends up in a movie. And we did about 85 minutes of the movie. So 85 minutes are visual effects. You can't tell. I love it. There's something else. There's another thing that was important in the movie, which is clocking the sickness of these four characters. And because we shot it out of context, I mean, out of, out of continuity, uh, and and the makeup department did a wonderful job in trying to, you know, get that progression there. But the edit changed, and and so we had to propose certain things that had to make sure that the progression of the sickness went on and it was seen in a three and a half hour movie. So, I mean, incredible kind of work, a lot of it, but. You can't tell what we did. <laughs>
there's a lot to unpack and I'm sort of going to step back to when you first answered about joining onto the project because you mentioned uh, Martin Scorsese is a very visual person, visual director. Now, when it comes to something like this, you were mentioning as well that you he wanted your work to be invisible, and you know, and you guys did that. And there were certain rigs that you built to show to basically put it in the shot and then build around it. Now, one when you mentioned this is the first thing that was like blows my mind is that you're doing cows, people, cars, and mm-hmm. that so much of the film has visual effects and that it's hidden away. So I guess that's really like the work of like a true magician, an artist to sort of blend into the background and not have something that sticks out like a sore thumb. I think the second thing as well is when you're working with someone who's so visual and so very wants to bring the world to life, um, I guess we've set builds and uh, want to make wants to make the world feel as authentic as possible. Where do you begin in your work? So when you're there on the recce's, do you have the sort of production designer with you who's saying, okay, well, if we're looking down this road, we have a tavern, a sheriff's office, you know, and so on on the boardwalk, and then over here we have something else. Do you then take what they're going to build and then start building your world around there? Or do they say, we're only going to build this part, we need you to paint in uh, an extra few buildings down here? It's a, it's a, it's all of it. It's uh, It starts with... Um... You know, uh, meetings with production design and the art department, and I actually rely a hundred percent on whatever was built for the movie, and whatever research was done. And there was a lot of uh, trying different things that the the production design department does, and as they work independently with the director, that I am in awe of. Because what happens is that. After we finish a movie and we go into post, there's always changes that need to be made. And I'm always going to refer to production design. So after the movie, production design dumps, you know, all the archives into post-production to to Ireland. And then I always have that access, all the folders there and everything else. So the first thing I do is uh, check that out. When Marty says to me, you know, we need a building here, we need to change this building into something else because of this and this, I always bring up that work and I say, well, this is what you have done with production design before. Do you want this or this or that? And, and I do a lot of also research with uh, Marianne Bauer, who is the, uh, Marianne Bauer is the uh, archivist and she's also a producer in the movie. And, you know, we've known each other for, you know, six or seven years. So it's something that I have always done with uh, Silence or with Irishman or with uh, with Films of the Flower Moon, that we always work together and we do all the research. So in those meetings with production design, we, there's usually a model. You know, let's say that we're, we're, we're talking about a Husqa building that, that, uh, that city into looking like Fairfax. So there's a model uh, that is a kind of like three or four tables big uh, that, that that tells me and everybody else, Marty's there too. And the production design, Jack Fisk is there too. And then he describes, you know, he's going to build up to here. And then from here on, we either, you know, use blue screen or white screen or it's night or how we're going to extend all that stuff because that's what he's going to build. And then sometimes I would say, you know, it would help if you build up to here and then you cut it right at the end of the building and we put some blue screen right there. Or sometimes I would come up with some other ideas like, um, you know, vegetation or or some other stuff that comes around that helps me blending what I know I have to put in. Or sometimes we do some technical stuff, some technical, we make some technical decisions that have to do with how methodology, like how we're going to shoot, for instance, the last shot, you know, with the, with the drum, we start in the drum and then we, we come out 200 feet. Well, how are we going to do that? We don't have a crane that is 200 feet and we cannot put a drone there because of people. So we're going to have to do a cable, you know, um, solution for that and on wires. And that requires a lot of, math and so we do that technical part and then we show it to to marty and then he makes um you know aesthetic decisions and then we change it around so it's a very you know um organic 
activity. You know, we, we're all talking to each other. We're all relying on each other's work. Same thing with special effects, you know, explosions, fire, rig, uh, oils, um, you know, the oil falling on, on people. Uh, same thing with the DP. You know, I know Rodrigo, I've known Rodrigo for a long time. And, and uh, because he's from Mexico, I'm from Argentina. So sometimes we, we, uh, we speak in Spanish, especially when we're talking about other people. But uh, we speak the same language, you know, in cinema. I mean, lenses and, and, uh, and um, you know, camera movement and, you know, some of the technicalities of, you know, shooting on film. And also, that's, that's another thing that we did. We, we, we created some historical footage that we couldn't restore because it was so damaged. So we shot it. I mean, it was shot with a Bell & Health camera, 1920s. And we shot it. We reshot the footage with the actors, with that camera you know, with a crank camera, uh, but with color film. And, uh, and that was because there was some blue screen stuff and some other stuff that we need to separate. And so we reprocessed that and we matched it to the original, um, you know, documentary footage. And all that was plotted with, with the director of photography. And so it's a very organic set. It's like a family, you know, we, we all talk about stuff and we all have our own uh, needs and we all know that we rely on each other for certain other things and we all know what everybody else can do and then we go into post for a year and then it's just marty and us which is awesome <laughs> because you're mentioning as well when you're working with people i guess when you have regular collaborators it makes it probably a million times easier to then Oh, yeah, we'll do this, we'll do that. Having those conversations, even the shorthand as well, disc discussion will make it easier. And I think that's like a big part in Martin Scorsese films is the collaboration that he has with his crew. I know a lot of people talk about, you know, the Leos, the Robert De Niro's, the Joe Pesci's being in the film, but it's also uh, the reoccurring people uh, behind the camera as well. That should get a big special mention as well. But when you're, there's some like, really fascinating parts as well where you're talking about this is before as well when you talked about the book that you guys had to CG in uh, images about the Osage and when Leo's reading it uh, Ernest is reading it and it kind of blows my mind a little bit because I don't think uh, I didn't realize I've never not seen anywhere online that's realized that that was all CG'd in and it's just like wow well, no it's not because because it's invisible work i mean but hopefully you know it's invisible work that is part of the visual effects lexicon i mean it's is is the range of of things that visual effects does it does this one thing that we all are familiar with and we have seen and it also does this other thing that is completely in the opposite thing that is completely uh, cinema driven, content driven, that is that it has to it has to be invisible, it has to match whatever we shoot. And and for me, I mean that's kind of like the definition of visual effects is is contributing to the storytelling, is is also finishing something that was started on set. And it's that starts also with special effects and with cinematography and with performance and with I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, what kind of tools does the director have to tell a story, right? I mean, uh, he or she they have they have a camera, they point the camera in the right direction, they decide on a lens how much you see of this. There's depth of field, there's lighting, there's performance, there's camera movement, and that's it. Pretty much. I mean, well, there, there are, you know, production design and wardrobe and all this other stuff. But meaning the director has, you know, kind of a, a set of, of, of tools to tell a story and somebody that understands what everybody does and how to divide the work into telling that story and also communicating that story to the people that work with him. See, that's, that's half of the battle, you know, right there. This is all about communication. And it's also being succinct and, and efficient with the time that you have about communicating your vision. And that's something that Marty does very well. And obviously, the more uh, you work with the same people, the, the more of a shorthand you get. And the more preemptively I was able to put a shot together and, and, and propose a camera and a lens that was a 
there was part of the universe of the movie that he want that he wants to make, and so so the choices are a lot better, uh, and and also the whole thing, the the kind of like the through theme through all that stuff that you're talking about is trust because because if he because the director has to trust the people that that work with 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 him or her because it's like a baby right you're just like this is my baby take care of it <laughs> kind of a thing and and you want to you want to tell the same story um, that the director wants to yeah and as like a director that as you said this is their baby they want to nurture it they want to grow and put it out in the world to let it fend for itself but there is something that you mentioned as well am i right in saying this film was shot on film yes it was shot on film so when it comes to sort of the vfx element with it being shot in a film does that affect the way that you work compared to if you were shooting the film on digital yes it does it does because it's a whole the whole set changes when we do that but also uh, there were some things that needed to be shot on digital because uh it was either easier faster because it was too dark and uh we we had to open up you know to to a t-stop that you know film doesn't allow it and in that case i always talk to rodrigo and we always negotiate you know what we need to do and then at the end i mean i do shoot you know, a bunch of different passes of different science that I need so that I can match whatever is digital into film. And so, and we always profile the lenses. And so, so, and and I always talk to Rodrigo about it and, and we always match it. So I don't think it's a problem. And I think it's transparent again to Marty. He doesn't, he, he's not involved in those kinds of things. For him, it's, you know, the images, what, what he sees, so... This is well another way of trusting your crew that you'll kind of leave them to Definitely. it in terms of like film stock. Um, Definitely. And you, you have to trust the crew that you work with or else you can't not do the work or else you cannot collaborate. Because if you don't trust somebody, then it's kind of like, well, there's nothing better than doing it myself. And what, what happens with those filmmakers is that then the product is flat because then they can only go as far as their strengths and then everybody has strengths and weaknesses and if we all work together we had no way and also you end up with some incredible peaks and valleys and uh and and different different colors you know colors in terms of the uh the the tone of the film and you incorporate all that into the result and it looks like a marty scorsese movie regardless this that's also one thing that I always say is like you know you can never escape what you shoot. You might be able to change a little bit the this or that, but you have made some decisions, uh, lensing, camera movement, performance, lighting. You will never escape it. It's what it is. It has your signature in it. And I think as well with somebody like Martin Scorsese, a bit a bit of a. Some of his, I've been re rewatching or watching films I haven't seen of his. I think last weekend I saw Wolf of Wall Street and then The Aviator. Mm. And I think what you see as well is he understands the scope of how he wants to show the world as well. So Wolf of Wall Street, I guess, because it's not necessarily big in terms of like showing off a plane like an aviator or right. in in Killers of a Flower Moon showing off the um, oil rigs, but it's more showing that sort of the size of like how much money somebody has and the houses or the parties and excess mm -hmm. that's there. And then the aviator was like the mad scope of just the whole like swinging the 20, the roaring 20s, sorry. And then the war and somebody building these planes and showing off these planes. And then... Yeah, but it's also, even though it's called the aviator... It's about it's about that character. It's about seeing that character go down, and all all the world that is around that that person is part of the story. But it's mainly about that. I mean, I talk to Marty a lot about lengths. You know how how long the movies are. You know, like for instance, in Irishman. You know, we had a conversation, and I said, you know, do you think this is this is do you think it's too long? And he said, well, I fall in love with the characters and I want to be with them and I want to sh I want to show the you know the the arc and you know that stuff and I think you know as 
as Marty has more experience and more experience in life, he's taking his time to tell a specific story because he knows what that is. Maybe a, a, a person that is not as experienced will tell a story faster. But it's like Marty needs the audience to understand, do you, do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's it's like it's like a book or or a way you explain something. You say it in one way, then you say it in another way, and then you say it in another way, just so that you understand my point, especially when it comes to human nature. And why why did things have to happen that way? And what was the progression of things? Or what wasn't? Or you think it's this, but it's not really this, it's this other thing. It's this thing about ambiguity that he brings into uh, all the work that he does, not only in the camera work and the performances, but also in visual effects. You know, like, for instance, you know, the shot of a car going into this this field, you know. I, I So we shot the car going into a field. It was empty, you know. And, and actually, the, the, uh, the road, the country road, went some other way that we had to change. And there were some wild horses in the background and whatever. But uh, but we shot it like that. And then we knew we had to put, you know, oil rigs in it. And we went with all the research and we had all these pictures that match it and stuff. And then I said, you know, what if, uh, you know, when we first start coming out of the car and the camera starts pulling out, we, we get this huge thing going right by camera. But we don't know what it is because we haven't seen what, what's in there. I said, well, yeah, that's a great idea. So he took it. Uh, he said, that's a great idea. Let's put some steam right there. And then I had like three or four takes that I showed him with all the, the rigs. And then he said, well, you know, after the, the big rig comes comes through, then I want to see just one. And then the second one. And then the third one and the fourth one. And then I want to see the whole, you know, expanded vision of the whole thing that goes with the music and goes with the camera move and makes the car very, very small and makes all this stuff, uh, this universe in which this movie is going to live in. And you see, that is storytelling. And that is including the visual effects that we all think of maybe uh, as one, that visual effects, that's only one thing, you know, well, could be, you know, flying people or explosions or whatever, whatever that is. And it, but, but visual effects is this other thing. It tells the story. Without those, the, without the, this interaction that we had, you have no shot. And you're not setting the picture in the right way. And to be invisible. This might be a slight sort of tangent, but because you were mentioning as well, like how it, it feels like a lot of times, like VFX is being people leading or leading might be a slight, uh, and a nicer word of saying on it but like leaning on vfx to create a lot in people's films and i think instead of thinking of it as a storyteller's like an aid they're sort of using it more to sort of really crock up scenes in your experience because you've also worked on something like jurassic um, jurassic park where as a kid seeing that film it was like oh my gosh these are real you know these look surreal they, i know they had animatronics as well but there was a mixture of blend of the two do you feel that like sometimes with the effects that it's overused that people kind of are using it more as a crutch not to help them in their storytelling but just to them cover up certain things in the scene yeah i mean i i do but i think it's all about what you do with visual effects visual effects is just a tool it's like a, it's it's a, it's a brush, you know. It's like a painter that has a black, you know, a, a, a completely blank canvas. And first, this person sketches something with one brush, and then brings this other brush and gives it some texture and some different colors. And it's but it's about how that person uses those tools. So yeah, sometimes some people use one tool to do one thing, but it's going to look like that. It's going to look like you're using only one device. And, and and can you do it? You know, can you build a building with a screwdriver? Yeah, you can. But you're going to, it's going to look like, like you use only the screwdriver. So my point is that all about the filmmaker and how that person sees, uh, you know, the art that they're making. And is it really art? 
or is it motivated by something else? Nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's not having worked with Marty. I mean, you you get into this idea that there is no compromises, that there's a vision and there's a singular vision that we all are part of, and that when we're done, there is the editing process and the visual effects and whatever whatever that is, and the you know color timing and all this other stuff. But that there is one vision and the, and that we're all coming up with some very strong content. Uh, that has a lot of art. And when I say art, I mean a lot of heart into that went into making that movie. And um, and and that 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 I have a feeling that Marty is very aware of the audience in a good way. I mean a lot of people say, you know, if if you if you if you wouldn't have an audience, would you have art? And I think he, I think there is no no art without an audience because as an artist, as somebody that creates art, you become the audience very quickly because you're always, you're drawing something or you're sculpting or you're doing something and then you stop for a second and then you look at it and then after that, then you make adjustments. Well, when you looked at it, you are the audience. And so in Marty's case, it's like that. He is creating and he takes a step back and looks at, how he feels about what has been created. You're right. Can there be art without an audience? And then because who can see the art and then judge art or uh, have a comment on it if no one sees it. But then also with like film is like a visual medium. It's another thing of like, what can we show the audience and see what we can tell them and what we can convey in this 20 second scene where not necessarily any dialogues being told, but we can just, then pluck the audience away from their seat and put them bang right in the middle of this oil field and see how they feel and connect to what's going on. Yeah, yeah and I think also uh, Marty has an incredible sense of uh, vocabulary with the you know visual visual literacy with the camera. You know, sometimes that camera uh, is part of the scene and then it becomes a witness of the whole thing. Sometimes it's in the scene, sometimes it's out of the scene. And sometimes sometimes the camera work of Marty is. Uh, you know, you got two people talking this way, and then all of a sudden the camera does this, just to show you context, and then comes back. It's it's using the camera as as a witness, as a you know, as as part of that scene. Uh, a character It's another character in the you know in the scene, and it's really interesting when you when you take a look at what you have done in the day that you work, right? When you take a look at dailies, or you or you think about what you did that day, uh, it's it's very informative and very educational for for me also to, to be working with him all the time because uh, they're all people that are at the top of their game, and I learn so much from that. And and a little bit of it, my job as a visual flexible writer also is to understand what the filmmaker with the director uh, is is trying to do. And preemptively, you know, propose things that have to do with that. But uh, but then when the project is over, the project is over, but a little bit of them stays with me as a filmmaker. I guess as well as you're saying, if people are at the top of their game, then you kind of have to look at them and be like, wow, I need to get to, get to that level as well. Just because there's always, as you said, there's always ways to learn and there's always things that you can take from people. Just because everybody's so creative and actually sort of understanding like when you hear people's like reasoning and understanding of why they've done these creative choices then it's just like light bulb moment being like ah this is incredible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's great and it also helps you in life because it's all about communication really it's all about you know making other people understand also what what you're saying and also understanding what other people are saying. And also because the visual effects process per se is a collaborative process in post, separated from the director. You know, we work with 500 artists and we are in dailies and we need to communicate a specific thing, not only uh, in technical terms, but also emotionally what it means to the to the movie, it might be that uh, a painter, you know, in visual effects doesn't need to know all that stuff, but 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 he or she does. They do because if they understand why they're doing what they're doing, they do a better job 
and they serve the story better as opposed to doing something, a little part of it that you don't know why you're doing it. And so I always try to bring those kinds of uh, references and, and, and research into a project to the artists that are working on it because that makes them you know, invest in the work that they do. Yeah, I think that's another thing is like, um, like as a supervisor, you oversee so many people as well. So even though yeah. you're working with the director and they're inspiring you, then it's like kind of down to you to inspire everybody else to be like, pull in the same low, the same, same way. Definitely. Definitely. They have to, they have to like the project that they do. They have to like me and they have, they have to understand why they're doing what they're doing. It's not just about putting the time. Yeah, exactly. And they um, uh, kind of have three more questions. I just sort of want to lead to what you just said now, because you're talking about uh, leading a team. How do you go about getting the best out of your team and trying to get them invested as much as possible? I think it's probably quite easy knowing that they're doing a film directed by Martin, Sc- Martin Scorsese. So it's probably that little bit extra motivation. But when you're there, there's times where things aren't just clicking and they, people need to just put in a little bit extra, uh, extra 10%. How do you get them uh, motivated and really engaged in the project? Well, I give the, the most amount of information that I have. I mean, uh, just just inform with references, with a historical um, perspective, with even the script, with uh, you know the, all the takes that we not only the select take that went in the movie, but all the other takes. You know, sometimes we take a look at because we learn from from that. And then um, I um, generally uh, lead when we have a challenge and we're not getting it. We we sit down with more than one person, with three or four people, and I also involve those people in the reviews because. When I listen to Marty talk about something, I want other perspectives on what that meant to them. Because that's why you come up with answers, with different answers. And it always amazes me that sometimes you have 10, 7, 7, 7, 10 people in a meeting and you get seven different answers of the, well, wait a minute, weren't we in the same meeting? But we all get different different ideas of what happened. So uh, by involving those those people that are um, producing the work and giving them as much information, uh, uh, that that would be one way. Another thing that happens is that every artist has strengths, like I said, and weaknesses. And some artists, uh, because we're all kind of a little odd, you know, as as artists, you know, we sometimes we can't work with other people because whatever and so i identify those people too as artists because i take whatever they can give uh, marty and me as a project in the project as valuable so i make room and space for those people to do that work in the way they want to work so you as a leader have to recognize not only you're, you're driving the bus, right? You're, you're driving everybody in a, in a specific direction. But sometimes you have to give people some room to do other things, you know, a, a, away from from that. And, and you have to, and that's part of being a leader, recognizing and making assignments that make sense socially, for instance. You know, I, there's, there was an artist that I, uh, it's not, uh, here anymore, uh, right? It doesn't work here anymore. But, but it was somebody that uh, that was incredibly talented, but couldn't work with people, and he he wouldn't get booked. It's like, wait, <laughs> this person has an incredible amount of talent. It is my job as a supervisor to provide opportunities for this person to you know enrich the project that I'm working on, and and so I would always take those challenges in, and I always. I rather work with people that have the right sensibility aesthetically and artistically than somebody that is completely technical that cannot either work with other people or uh, or be completely into the technical part because the technical part could be taught, but the sensibility, the artistry, is something that comes you know with with that person as well. I guess as well when you're having everybody pull in the same direction. And you've got someone who doesn't work well with people. It's probably 
you must be ripping your hair out sometimes because it could be like, oh, you're just so talented, but you just take a step back. Yeah. We'll get this done. It's not a problem. You know what? Yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, as I'm getting older, I'm getting more tolerant. In some, in some, my wife might disagree, but <laughs> but in some in some aspects, I'm getting more um, you know inclusive, and I take it upon myself to to make that work and to provide opportunities for people to work together and make the best out of people. It's like you want to get the best out of people and you want them to be happy and you uh, and it is part of you know my job to do that. So I would always try. Well, that's good to hear though. And as well as like as a leader, growing intolerance with people and um, understanding that everybody's mind works differently and how to get the best out of people is important. Definitely. There's so just for my penultimate question as well. You were going back before you were talking about um, the oil rigs and how you talked to a production designer uh, Jack about uh, building it, and then the important thing is like the mechanics of it, not necessarily the the look of it. But then also you were mentioning about oil, and I just want to sort of check with so with the mechanics side of it, how important is it that it moves in a certain way so that you can capture it and work around it. Um, but then when you're talking about the oil that's coming up and spraying out with people, how do you go about inserting that as well? Because it, because I always think about things like liquid that gets splashed around in film. One example that comes to mind is in Mank when Gary Oldman kicks the, he flicks water from the fountain and it sprays. And I was told that was done in visual effects, which again, stuff like that blows my mind because you think, that looks like somebody's just done it in person. With things like that, obviously they are seamless in the film, but how do you go about making it seamless and look like oils spurting out of the, out of the ground? Right. Well, I, uh, we work with, uh, with special effects, and I think they use a combination of, of uh, methocell water and some food coloring and some other non-toxic things. But it wasn't uh, behaving properly, especially because we were shooting, we were overcranking, we were shooting like at 120 frames a second, something like that. And that was something that Marty kind of like changed in post. So we had to go in and change the weight of things. And you do that by color correcting certain things and making it look, you know, less transparent and more translucent or less or whatever. So, but you start with something practical and and we start with the science of it and, and we, special effects did a bunch of tests and and uh, and then Marty looked at it and, and I looked at it and the DP and then we made some decisions and then we took it from there. But yeah, it's a combination of things and, and so production design designed the oil rigs and build them, but special effects did the moving part. You know the driller, the drill thing that that would go. Uh, I don't know, I don't know the the term of it, but the thingy that goes up and down <laughs> that gets that gets the oil out and and the drilling. And yeah, it is important that it's correct. But again, we take all that stuff and then if we need to change it because. The camera goes around. You know, we we you know we build one of them, but not in the place where we were shooting that that shot or any shot that included it. We we built it. We picked a place that had basically there was a, a, a plain place that didn't have anything in the background, so that when we did a photogrammetry of it and captured it, we we could do it. And and then once we did that, we then then you can change it. Uh, in CG, and that's that's a good thing about Marty understanding that we can change things. There's something else that we did in the film that we didn't talk about. Is uh, we did about like three or four, you know, thirty or four uh, morphs in performances in the same scene, meaning that we took some air out of some of the some of the dialogue and we moved it around depending on what uh, Marty. Uh, went through in the editing process, and that's something else that uh, we're very respectful because because we want to preserve you know the performances. That's something that we did in Irishman or or, or uh, Silence also, uh, but that's something that uh, Marty is very aware of and uses it as a tool to move the story in a specific way. Yeah, because there's always those little things that you kind of wonder, like I wonder how they did that. 
and when you collaborate with various various department like special effects as well about creating that look and then building on what they've created and putting sprinkling in your little bits and bobs in certain in certain scenes as well yeah that's the whole idea is that we that we all work together and we all create this world and this this content that the the director is putting on us and that there is no really one department that builds everything no there is no one shot that is all cd or all special effects or all you know no production design involved or anything like that. i mean we we all contribute to the whole thing yeah and it's also the just the idea of as well like getting nailing it and making sure that it's invisible for no one to see like oh we might stitch that here as well yeah, and it, I think it's also a challenge to the industry too, to the visual effects industry, because we all kind of irk when we um, we cringe when we read somebody saying, "Well, this is bloated with visual effects, or this is whatever," and they make you know an assumption like that, and then it's up to us as an industry to say, "Well, we do this kind of work, but we also do this invisible work, and we need to recognize it so that we can." Shut everybody up, <laughs> so that so that we can show that we can that we have the sensibility to do the work that we do, and it's up to the filmmaker to, or it's up to the director or the vision to, and us to collaborate to make invisible work. Yeah, and I guess as well when other people see your work and then they see it and they're like, "Oh, holy crap! Like we need to step up our game if this is what people are coming up with." <laughs> But the funny thing is that you need the same amount of resources, uh, the same the same nuance eye, and the same sensibility that you wanted for for others for the other um, you know for other work that you do. It's always about making it look real and marrying it to something that you shot, you know, and, and listening to those kinds of things. Just to wrap up this episode, my my final question. What was your favorite scene slash proudest scene to uh, work on and have an uh, audience watch? Well, I like that scene of the car, you know, with with the Ulrichs because it tells the story. But there are some other things that, you know, like, for instance, um, that is the sickness of of the whole story and how you depict, you know, the poisoning of, 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 of those characters and how uh, how much that part of visual effects is is part of the story and you didn't really pay attention to it. But I love taking a look at historical perspective on the story. Same thing with Irishman and, and Kills with Flamengo was the same thing. It's taking, it's saying this this character starts this way and it ends the, this, this other way. And what is the arc? And how can we contribute to the arc? So making the audience understand that these people are getting sicker and sicker. It might not seem like a very sexy thing, you know, in terms of visual effects, but but it's very difficult thing to do. You know, you have to you you, you need your nuanced eye and your uh, to to understand, you know, where it goes in the story. Other things that I love were uh, you know extending the town, you know, in the background as the cars are as uh, you know Ernest is is. Uh, is driving Molly around. You know, a lot of that background stuff was created uh, in visual effects. And I love taking a look at that. And and sometimes we're in dailies and we're commenting on something and somebody says, well, actually, that's not us. That's or or the opposite. I know we can't change that because that was shot. It's like, no, without we produce that. So when you start getting into, you don't know what is what, <laughs> That's the best part. It's just completely invisible. I think as well, like with your choices, when you're saying about making people sicker and sicker, and you're saying that's not the the sexy choice of the, your shot, but you're right in terms of like sometimes it's not necessarily like in Transformers when the robot sort of jumps over a bridge or something. You know, mm-hmm. people could be proud of that. But I mm-hmm. guess if you're showing the sort of effects of um, someone getting worse and worse, and then as an audience member being like. Oh, it's like something is going on here. Yeah. And it is progressively getting worse. And that sort of visual sense that you don't need as an audience member to be beaten over the head with somebody being like, oh, something's no. wrong here. 
And it's the kind of thing that uh, that you think about for days after you watch a movie. I mean, it happens to me all the time that I'm watching a movie and all of a sudden, you know, three days later, I'm thinking, oh, wow, I didn't realize this. And I get it now. And then I watch it again, you know, and then I put it together. And I think those kinds of things are the best part of my job when people go away. And three days later, they're still thinking about, um, you know, something that happened that I was part of to, te- to you know, to tell that story. Because that's that's part of also, if you talk to Marty about that, that's part of what he thinks he's doing. He's telling a story, but he's also trying to uh, get you to take something with you that that uh, that you can see that it's reflecting on you, it's, that it's mirroring part of what you're what you're doing, and maybe it'll affect the way you react at, you know to something. It's really important stuff. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. And there's always a lot to take away from those human stories, even if it's not just films by Mr. Scorsese, but other. Uh, human elements of human stories that people create and that's I feel like that's something that in film is more important than ever now and sort of going into those world of people and seeing how other people live and uh, taking something away from it mm-hmm. yep Pablo thank you so much for your time today um I really appreciate it great um, thank you so much no, no, thank you. Um, Killers of a Flower Moon is still in cinemas or go out, watch Pablo's work, enjoy it and savour it. See if you can uh, see any of the invisible stitches that he's put in and enjoy it. Thank you again, Pablo. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.